Numbers 27, again, that theme of the book of Numbers is obedience versus disobedience. And our obedience is truly put to the test when we're asked to do things that we don't want to do, right? Anybody amen that one, right? Our obedience is put to the test, not when, Zach, I need you to eat this bowl of ice cream. Oh, it's going to be so hard, right? Let me struggle through this. You've cooked this steak perfectly and you want me to eat it. I will suffer for the Lord and do this, right? That's not when our obedience is put to the test. Our obedience is put to the test when we're asked to do something we don't want to do. And now our obedience is truly put to the test when we're asked to not do something that we think we are entitled to, right? I don't know if you've ever walked into a situation and you say, of course I'm going to get this job or this position or this meal or whatever the case may be. You have a certain set of expectations. Of course this is going to happen. And then when you're given the no, your true colors will come out. Whether you're truly a servant and a humble person like Jesus Christ or whether you're fueled by your pride or what you believe you deserve and what you're going to fight for. And we're going to see that here with Moses. We're going to be given a set of inheritance laws. But at the end of the chapter, we're going to see Moses and his heart when after working for 40 years, he's being reminded, Moses, you're not going into the promised land. Now we're going to see how Moses reacts, his heart, his mindset. So let's go ahead and read verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the daughters of Zilophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Matri, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, poor girl, Hagla, Milcah, and Terza. And they stood before Moses, before Eliezer the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who were gathered together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin, and he had no son. So these daughters come. They approach Moses and they are basically saying, hey, our father passed away, but he died from normal circumstances. He died in his own sin. We know the wages of sin is death. So at the end of our lives, each and every one of us die because we are sinful and we are sinners. So they're saying, hey, our dad died and he had no sons. He wasn't a part of Korah or any rebellion or circumstance against the Lord. Verse 4, so why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So these daughters, perhaps they're seeing that the nation of Israel is being counted once again, like we saw in chapter 26, and it's all the men that are being counted. Their father has passed away. And these daughters, they're concerned about their father's inheritance. That it's going to be taken from their family because he has no son. So they bring their situation up to Moses. Verse 5 tells us, So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And Moses here gives us an example of what we should do when a new case or a new situation or a new season is brought to our attention. What should we do? We should bring it to the Lord. This isn't the first time Moses does this. In Leviticus 24, verse 12, Moses is brought into a new situation, so they put the son into custody. 
that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses. When new situations arise, when new problems arise, who do we go to first? Who do we go to first? Do you go to Google, right? Do you call a friend, a family member, a husband? Because whoever you go to first is probably who you trust the most with the situation. Situation arises, right? Maybe it's a health issue. You don't call your nephew, right, that's three years old, and say, hey, this is happening to me. What do I do, right? Hopefully you don't take your health advice from a three-year-old, although sometimes that's wiser. But different teaching, right? Different teaching. Who do you go to? Whoever you go to first, it reveals who do you trust. When was the last time we went to the Lord first when a new situation came to us? A new difficulty came to us. In Proverbs chapter 3, very famous portion of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 8 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Here, Moses is showing us the real-life application of trusting the Lord with all your heart. Not leaning on our own understanding. Moses doesn't sit back and say, hey, I have 40 years experience here in the wilderness with Israel. I have 40 years in the, in the wilderness shepherding the flocks of my father. And I have 40 years of experience there in Egypt in their best schools and in the military. I'll handle this by myself, right? No, Moses, he does not lean on his own understanding, but he trusts in the Lord. He waits upon God. And it's so wise, there's so much wisdom for us to take a step back from these situations and give room to God to speak into our lives and to address our situations. To take a step back, whatever time you're able to give the situation. Sometimes you're able to give it a year to step back and pray and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? Sometimes it's a month, sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's an hour. Depending on the emergency, sometimes it's five minutes. But do we step back and wait upon God to hear that still, small voice? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 21 through 24, just speaks to us about the wisdom about waiting upon the Lord. Here in Proverbs 20, verse 21 tells us, An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning, will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I will recompense evil, but wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Again, family, there's wisdom. New situations arise. Difficulties come up. Emergencies even come up. There's wisdom in taking a step back and asking the Lord, Lord, what is your heart on this? What is your mindset on this? Searching scripture saying, Lord, what does your word have to say? We're going through 1 Timothy chapter 5 with the young adults. And in one verse there, Paul says, for the scripture says. Now, whenever we think about our thoughts, our ideas, our mindset, or whatever you fill in the blank, can you take a step back and say, for the scripture says. That's why I believe this. That's why I do this. For the scripture says. But verse 6, 
after Moses waits upon God, it tells us, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. You see, God was blessed that these daughters did not want to see their father's inheritance just disappear into nothing. God is also blessed that they brought the situation up to Moses and they trusted Moses and his leadership. But perhaps God was most blessed because these daughters are truly walking in faith. They're walking in faith because they're concerned with their father's inheritance within the promised land. And yet, are the children of Israel in the promised land yet? No, they're still on the border. And yet these daughters, by faith, are coming up to Moses saying, Hey, our father passed away and we're concerned with his inheritance in the promised land. Can we have it? And we read this last week, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Family, we need to have that. That faith to trust in the Lord in difficulties, in situations, maybe even in promises that we've sensed God has for us, and yet they have not happened. Are we walking around moody? Are we walking around mopey? Are we that Christian Eeyore walking around, woe is me, right? Or are we walking and living by faith? These daughters, they didn't throw themselves a pity party all by themselves. No, they went up to Moses by faith. So God here, he gives his ruling to Moses. He tells him, hey, if a man has no sons, his inheritance should pass on to his daughters. Later on in Numbers chapter 36, God gives even more detail into inheritances and different heirs. But we'll look at that later. Verse 8 through 11 tells us, You shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father's has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So here God gives his ruling, not only for these daughters, but also for the whole nation of Israel. If a man has no sons, then the inheritance goes to the daughters. He has no daughters, then it goes to his brothers. He has no brothers, it goes to his uncles. And if he has no uncles, then it just goes to the nearest of kin. We fast forward here now in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into Mount Abraham and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin... During the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. So here there's difficult news for Moses. God tells Moses, hey, you're going to come up to the mountain. I'm going to show you all 
that I'm going to give to the children of Israel, and then you'll be gathered to your people just as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. A few chapters previously, what happened to Aaron? He went up to the mountain, and he didn't come down off the mountain, right? He died there on the mountain, and now God, he brings Moses up, as we've seen in the book of Revelation with John, brings him up to the mountain, and then he's going to spiritually reveal to Moses all the promises that God has for the children of Israel. Perhaps there spiritually he's able to even see David and his kingdom, Solomon and his kingdom, maybe even Jesus Christ one day coming. And the promise God has for Israel wasn't just based upon Moses or him getting them there. The promise God had for Israel was on God. God was the one making the promise. Moses was just a vessel for a specific season and a specific purpose. Moses was the law. We're going to see later on it's only through Joshua. Joshua is literally Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we can get into those promises of God. Why is Moses not allowed to get into the promised land? He reminds him, because you did not hollow me. You did not prove me holy. You disqualified yourself by misrepresenting me to the nation of Israel. God told Moses these consequences all the way back in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he said, Because you did not believe me, to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Numbers chapter 20, he's told, hey, you're not getting into the promised land. We're seven chapters later, right? Years and years have passed on, and yet Moses is still leading God's people. From what we can see, he's still doing it in obedience to God. He's still doing it in excellence unto God. He's still on talking terms with God. How do we react when we don't get what we've been working for? How do we react when we don't get what we think we deserve? Would we be able to respond as well as Moses has been responding here? He served these complainers for 40 years. We've looked at it. They're complaining time after time after time. The whole first generation passes away. What does the new generation start doing? They start complaining too, right? Over and over again. And yet Moses is told, hey, you're not going into the promised land. And he's still obedient to the Lord. I think it all goes back to What do we think of when it comes to serving God? What do we think serving God is all about? Do we think serving God is some type of commerce, some type of trading? Hey, God, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Hey, God, I'm going to serve here in the kids' ministry, God. I'm going to put this amount of time in the parking lot and then you owe me a wife, okay? Right? Hey, God, I'm going to serve here in the cafe, and then you owe me three kids. If I'm going to serve here for this amount of time, and then you're going to owe me X, Y, or Z. God, you do this favor for me, and then I'll do this favor for you back and forth. You see, Moses was able to own the consequences of his own disobedience and still serve God faithfully in whatever God was willing to entrust to his care. Because Moses saw serving not as a form of commerce and trading back and forth with God, but Moses saw serving God as a blessing and a privilege. How do we see serving the Lord? How do we see responsibility within the family of God? Is it a blessing to us? Is it a privilege to us? Or is it a burden 
Is it a consequences? Is it like parole for some people? Oh, you're still serving? Yeah. I used to serve, right? But I put my 10 years in and now I'm out of parole, right? I don't have to serve anymore. How do you see serving the Lord? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul tells us, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. Right? We are fellow workers with God. That when we get to serve the Lord, we are serving alongside of the creator of heaven and earth. Is that a privilege to us? Or is that a burden or a blessing, right? I don't know who you like out there in this world, right? What your dream job is. Elon Musk calls you up and says, hey, I need your help working on Tesla, right? Oh, I don't know if I can, right? How much time is it going to take? How long are we going to be there? I don't know if I could do that, right? It depends if you want to work there, if you want to be there, if you see that person in good light, in power, in might, in love, right? If you love the Miami Heat, right, and now Pat Riley calls you, hey, I need you to work here at the Heat with me. You got these seats. We're going to be there together putting in hours. There's how many two games a year, right? 82 games a year have to be there for all of them. It's all dependent on our love. Do we love the Lord? Is serving Him seen as a a problem or a pain? Or is it seen as a blessing? And when serving Him is a blessing, then it doesn't matter where we serve Him or what part of the body we are. We're just blessed to be a part of it. David was also used mightily within God's plan and purpose for Israel. And David, just like Moses, was able to own his consequences and still be the faithful psalmist of Israel. We can turn there quickly. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. It tells us, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Verse 19, when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, he said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. He gets up, takes a bath. He goes, sits down and starts to eat. They're amazed. They don't understand. Then in verse 22, David says, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Moses, in the same way, later on in Deuteronomy, we'll see Moses asking God, God, I know you're able to do all types of things, right? Do you think I can get there into the promised land? And God says, Moses, we're not talking about this ever again. Don't bring it up, right? If you have kids, you know what that's like, right? Mom, can we go here? I already said no. Mom, can't. But mom, can't we? Don't bring this up ever again, right? That's what the Lord has to do with Moses. But the same thing for us. When consequences come our way, are we moping about them? Are we weeping about them? Or are we just grateful that God allows us to be a part of it all? You see, Paul was able to do all things through Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that now in Philippians 4.13, one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible. And Moses is also able to be content in any state of life. Let's look at here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at least your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am 
to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned to be full and I've learned to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, what's the chief blessing in our lives? Is it our relationship and friendship with God? Or is it all of these other things on the side? God, if I get that, then I'll be happy. God, if I get that, then I'll be joyful. Lord, I'm missing out on this. It's not until I have X, Y, or Z that then I will be content. How did it often? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's not talking about benching 325, right? That's not talking about winning on the football field. That's talking about being content in every state of life. Paul was able to be content in every state of life. Moses is able to be content in every state of life. Christ Jesus living upon this earth was able to be content in every state of life. How much more should we be content? Whether we're in a season of abounding or if we're in a season of suffering need. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Verse 15, Moses' true heart comes to the surface. Moses is being told no, right? You've worked 40 years for this and yet you're not going to see its full fruit come to fruition. Does Moses mope? Does he whine? Does he complain? Does he start talking bad to God, start, start talking bad about the people? No. Verse 15, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Moses' chief concern wasn't himself. Moses' chief concern, right? Moses didn't have FOMO, right? Moses doesn't have the fear of missing out and now he's crying out to God. No. Moses' chief concern was for God's people. His top concern, his top priority was God's sheep. He was concerned, Lord, please bring a man. Lord, please set a man over this congregation that will be a shepherd to them. Lord, may they not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Is that your heart? Is that my heart? When we're brought into different areas to serve, when we're brought into different areas within church, when we're given different responsibilities, is our concern about others or is our concern just about ourselves? Moses here is showing the heart of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it tells us, And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Moses here is showing the heart of Jesus Christ. And we should have that same heart, that when we see the world around us, we shouldn't be grinding our teeth with anger, right? They voted for this. They're on this political side. They like this. They like that. They're from that nationality. They're X, Y, Z. No. Our heart should break. We should have compassion for them because they don't know the chief shepherd. They don't have someone leading them and guiding them. And this is the heart of a biblical leader. If I can, I would say this is the heart of a biblical man. He's not looking out for his own comfort. He's looking out for the care of the flock entrusted to him. 
That's what a biblical man looks like. It's not about his own comfort, his own desires, his own, oh, I just want to be comfortable, oh, I'm tired, oh, I'm this, oh, I'm that. A biblical man is looking out for the interests of others and not himself. Because that's what Jesus showed us in Philippians chapter 2. A couple scriptures here on the heart of a shepherd. Let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 here, Jesus, he speaks about the heart of a shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, this is the heart of biblical leadership, of a biblical man, and of leadership within a church. You want to be a part of pastoral leadership? You want to grow and be a part of the church? It's not so that you can see what you could get out of the sheep You should be seeing, what can I give to the sheep? Lord, what can you lend to me that I can give to these people? Again, Jim Gallagher says that a butcher and a shepherd look at sheep very differently, right? A butcher, you think, I got four legs of lamb here. Got a couple lamb chops. We could cook this. We could cook that. That's what a butcher sees. And that's what men that look at churches for what they can get out of them. They're butchers. They're not shepherds. A true shepherd is willing to lay down their life for the sheep. That's why in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Again, you guys, you don't belong to me. You don't belong to Calvary Chapel, Miami. You guys belong to God. And now my role, the role of all the pastors here, is to tend God's sheep, his blood-bought sheep. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, no doubt thinking about his conversation with Jesus after all of the disciples quit the ministry, right? They all go back to fishing. Then Jesus meets them and Jesus speaks with Peter. Hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you like me? Right? And he tells him to feed his sheep, to tend his sheep, to feed his lambs. And here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, serving as managers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Again, my concern in shepherding the flock of God is what does the chief shepherd think about my actions? What does the chief shepherd think about how I treated his lambs and his sheep? We jump back to 
Numbers chapter 27. And again, this is all the heart of Moses. His concern is not saying, God, this isn't fair. God, I put in 40 years. God, I gave up Egypt for this. You owe me. No, Moses' Moses's, right? concern is, Lord, what about your people? Lord, what about your people? Who's going to tend to them? Who's going to take care of them? So God, he quickly answers Moses in Numbers 27, verse 18. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. See, for many of us, we've read through the Bible several times. It's not your first go-around. So you can think of Joshua, right? The guy that knocked down Jericho, this amazing warrior, this amazing man and leader of God. But up until this point, Joshua, he's simply Moses' assistant, right? In Exodus 24, verse 13, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up from the mountain of God. The word assistant, it's really that Joshua is Moses' servant. He's just a servant. And yet God says, Joshua, he's the man who has the Spirit of God within him. So often people desire power and position in church, and that's all that they really want. They're not there to serve, they're not there to love, they're not there to tend to sheep. They're not there because they're blown away at the privilege of serving God. They're there for the power, the position, and the prestige. Joshua, he was just serving Moses. That was his concern. And as he served Moses, as he served the people of God, Joshua desired to be there with God. The only other man, the only other person we see there in the presence of God, whenever Moses would go out of his tent to go visit the tent of meeting to be there with God. We only see Joshua willing to get up and go with Moses. In Mark chapter 10, verse 44 through 45, Jesus tells us, Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, the way up to the top biblically is by going down, down, down. You want to go up to the top in God's kingdom? The way that we achieve that is by being a servant to all, being a slave to all, just as our Lord and Savior was. Again, that's one thing I love about Jesus, right? He always practices what he's preaching. He doesn't say, hey, you go be servant of all and I'm going to be an ivory tower. No, he came down, humbled himself, died, and died the death of the cross. He was humble and obedient in every way. And this is why Joshua is called up to the top. Because he was willing to and he was the servant of all. We see in verse 18 that Joshua had the Holy Spirit upon him. And then Moses was to lay his hands on him and now have this inauguration in front of Eliezer and in front of all the people. It's important to us to know, we talked about this even with the young adults, that whenever we gather together and lay hands on someone... We're not taking my spirit and putting it into them, right? Right now there's a terrible doctrine. I think they call it grave soaking, right? Where I go and I lay upon a grave or I touch a grave and I'm going to take all the Holy Spirit power of Charles Spurgeon and it's going to come upon me, right? And somehow now I'm going to gather all his power and Holy Spirit. 
It's straight up false doctrine. It's wacky doctrine. Don't follow anything like that. Here, when Moses comes and lays his hands upon Joshua, the only thing he's doing is putting germs on Joshua. That's the only thing he's doing, right? The Holy Spirit is already upon him. The Holy Spirit is already there and upon him. And now they're having this ceremony so that all the people can already see the man that God has chosen. It's the same thing whenever we lay hands on people here, whenever we bring someone to the front and pastors pray for them. It's not that my power and my Holy Spirit is going upon them. We're just bringing them up and praying before them, and God is the one that does the work. And oftentimes when a church calls someone up higher into leadership positions, it's because they're already doing the work. They're already that servant. They already have that shepherd's heart, and we're just doing publicly what God is already doing inside of that person's heart. Verse 20, And you shall give him And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. The exact timing between now and the end of Deuteronomy, not exactly sure, but we see Moses, he's not called up into heaven until the end of Deuteronomy. So perhaps there's some overlap here with Moses' leadership and Joshua's leadership. Then in verse 21 it says, And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him, By the judgment of the Urim, at his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel, with him all the congregation. You see, Moses was one of a kind. Moses being able to speak face to face with God was one of a kind. Right, We've been reading from Exodus to Numbers, and the Lord spoke to Moses, and the Lord spoke to Moses, and the Lord spoke to Moses. A one-of-a-kind leader within the Bible. The only leader of Israel that met Moses and superseded him was Jesus himself, right? The Son of God. But Joshua, he's still an incredible leader of Israel. And Joshua had to lead in his own way. We have to realize that in our life. Maybe it's in your job, right? At your job, you get a new boss, and you say, my new boss isn't like my old boss, right? Of course not. Of course. And Joshua doesn't lead in the same way that Moses did. God had for him to judge by the Urim. We don't have time to go through all this, right? The Urim and the Thummim, right? Two rocks that the high priest would hold that on top, under the breastplate that they would wear with the 12 stones of the nation of Israel. And then somehow they would pray, and depending which rock they grab and the light, they would be given a yes or no from the Lord. And that was the way Joshua was to lead his people. Verse 22, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and he set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So how do we react when we don't get what we want, right? We know that Moses wanted to go into the promised land. We know it. We'll see it in Deuteronomy. But Moses, he's obedient to the Lord just like any other day. He's obedient to the Lord. Our obedience to God is truly put to the test when perhaps we're not getting what we want. Or perhaps when our obedience will cost us something. But you know what? That's when you can really see what you're worth, what you're made out of, right? What does your relationship with Jesus Christ really look like? If it's all fine and dandy, it's all flowers and sunshine, right? When everything's going great, it's fine. It's a perfect 70 degrees in the sanctuary, right? But how is your obedience out there in the real world? 
when things come with a cost, things come with a price. Your friend may not like you anymore. Your boyfriend or girlfriend may dub you. Your son or daughter may not like your decision making because you're obedient to the word of God. 